Hello and welcome to this special episode of the John Henry Weston Show, where I'm very pleased to have for you a guest who's well-known to some of you. He is a Catholic speaker and activist. He is a book author. He's also a professional magician, which most of you don't know. His name is Patrick Coffin. Many of you will know him from his eight years as the host of the Catholic Answers Live radio show. He also runs his own uh, show called The Patrick Coffin Show. You're going to want to stay tuned for this one. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Patrick Coffin, welcome to the program. John Henry, thanks for having me, sir. Good to be with you. Great to be with you. Now, some very controversial news to start with. First of all, I want to let you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, for those who don't know, but also tell them the big news. You've been banned by YouTube, um, and horrifically so. Tell us what's happened. Well, in order of your questions, uh, I was born and raised in Halifax and kept trekking west. I went to McGill in Montreal, studied uh, drama as a teacher at the University of Toronto and Stratford Theatre, Ended up doing a year with the Companions of the Cross in Ottawa. Kept going west to a little place called Franciscan University of Steubenville, where I got a master's degree. Then was recruited to a film and TV company called Paul's Productions that made the film Romero. Then I heard a, this open call for auditions for a, a Catholic radio show that I'd, I'd never heard but I knew existed called Catholic Answers Live. And by God's grace and, and maybe some dumb luck, I was the last man standing and moved to San Diego in 2009 learned more in my first week than I probably would have learned in four years of radio school, um, trial and error and so on. I spent on just about eight, eight happy years there. And then in 2016, I felt like I wanted to pick my own guests and talk about things that are trending and kind of connect with people who are either sages or survivors of the culture war. So I started PCM, Patrick Hoffman Media, weekly podcast now hitting close to 230 episodes. And my wife and I run uh, summits called uh, RestoreTheCulture.com. Uh, the f- first one was in October. second one is coming up at the end of April, April 30th and May 1st. And that's on the vaccine, the Great Reset, with respect to COVID-19. That led to my permanent strike by our good friends at YouTube. Now, they violated their own terms of service by doing this. Uh, the rule is if you get three strikes or warnings within 90 days, then that's uh, you're out. But we deliberately stayed away from YouTube for at least a month. And they, they actually had to look th- back through my archive to find something that, that was offensive. And so that that delivered the permanent strike. And the, the, the triggering incident that gave me the Golden Boot Award was simply launching RestoreTheCulture.com. Just the existence of that on the, on the Internet was uh, a bridge too far for, for YouTube. So we're, we're looking at various legal options. Um, it's our intellectual property, and they, they took it from us unjustly. So uh, that's a kind of a story in process. But um, I really don't mind John Henry. Um, Logos Incarnate doesn't need YouTube or any particular software uh, or or, uh, social media platform to get the word out. It makes it easier, I suppose. But as you know, because you got the similar Golden Boot Award with LifeSite News for absurd reasons, it backfires. The devil always overplays his card. And this is the kind of thing that if you're on the fence and you're observing someone getting silenced or banned or deplatformed, it, it makes you curious. Well, what's, what's the voice I'm not supposed to be listening to? Aren't I an adult? Can't I weigh evidence and agree or disagree? 
but um, we're fighting an asymmetrical warfare scenario here. You and I would debate pretty much anybody. Let's find where the common ground is. Let's find out what the differences and similarities are and come to agree or disagree. But the other side wants to delete us. They don't want debate. They want us canceled. And that's uh, not what we ordinarily call adult behavior. So I consider it a kind of a feather in my cap to be to be banned. But we're, we're, we're going to fight it and we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. One of the things that I really love about you, Patrick, is that you're willing to take on things that are very challenging. Uh, you want to address them openly. You want to do so with intellectual rigor, but also with great faith. You're a man of great faith. You wrote books specifically on the hard issues of the te- of the faith. I remember uh, one of your books, particularly about uh, contraception, one of the hardest topics in the faith. But you take them on from not only an intellectual basis in the faith, but also from a deeply held belief and practice of the faith. Um, and yet you've been willing to go to a place where I think many, many Catholics would be totally offended and shocked. At least they would have been four or five years ago. Maybe today, uh, not so much. And what I'm referring to, of course, is uh, the, your willingness to address the scandals of Pope Francis. It's, uh, it's been quite, uh, quite something. Um, tell us a little bit about that, um, your willingness to go there when most are not. Like many people who were raised in the John Paul II generation, who uh, you know did the Snoopy dance when Joseph Ransering was named as uh, Pope Benedict XVI, uh, what has happened to the Catholic Church since March 13, 2013 has been a very bitter pill, uh, red in color, uh, to swallow. And I, I was willing to go into the zone of benefit of the doubt, and try to domesticate something that Pope Francis would say or do. And I think, well, look, the press is probably misunderstanding him. He's a practicing Catholic. He's the Pope after all. And so the New York Times are supposed to criticize the Pope. But then over time, there was one incident after another after another. And I began to to realize that I, I'm not responsible for the things that he says. Uh, I'm a journalist. My job is to talk about it and comment on it and bring in various voices, pro and con, and, and, and shake out what, what is true from what is false. And it's been a, it's I won't I won't lie it's been it's been hard. Um, the first couple of years, the, the 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 idea of floating around conservative Catholic circles was well look, okay he's not perfect but we want to imitate the sons of Noah who covered the nakedness of their father who was drunk, and okay that's noble. Then after a while I began to realize that we're dealing with an alcoholic streaker, <laughs> so then what do you do? where it just feels like the whole papal office is in free fall from Amoris Laetitia number 8 with all those uh, footnotes that are clearly contrary to the teaching of the faith with respect to divorce and remarried Catholics receiving Holy Communion, the letter from the Argentine bishops that was elevated into the, the official vault, the AAS of Catholic doctrine, um, now him wanting to, to change the catechism of the Catholic Church, which, remember, was called by St. John Paul II a sure norm for the faith well, it's it's not the case anymore um, with Francis's kind of re-evaluating and and changing slash contradicting the contradicting the teaching on the, on the death penalty, which has enjoyed two thousand years of papal and scriptural magisterial support. So this is the kind of test where we have to learn the the, the deposit of faith. The Catholic faith transcends any particular papacy. We've had bad popes in the past. 
and now we're we're dealing with a, a left-leaning South American Jesuit trained, really the first the first post Second Vatican Council, as far as formation goes. Um, Pope Francis does not have the Thomistic training that his predecessors have. He doesn't seem to have much interest in philosophy. Has confessed that he doesn't really know much about economics, but continually weighs in on these things. So it's um, there are many w- different ways to describe it. Um, one way would be to say that we finally get a pope we deserve. We've had generations of papal clarity. I, I was privileged to meet both Benedict XVI and John Paul II, who uh, blessed our, our wedding back in 2012, uh, 2011. <laughs> Boy, get the year of your marriage right, Patrick. 2001. And if you compare the crowds that, that were, were gathered when John Paul II showed up at an event, or Benedict XVI. Uh, St. Peter's was always packed. Wherever John Paul II went, the throngs, just a sea of humanity. Estimated almost one-third of all Ireland showed up in 1979 when he visited Dublin. And yet the press hated them. John Paul II was uh, public enemy number one from, for, uh, for, for his entire pontificate. He was the angry, white, reactionary, anti-woman, right, medieval uh, ultra-traditionalist, uh, perhaps Cardinal Ratzinger worse, God's Rottweiler. And yet the average person saw in them a light, a beacon of, of clarity and of strength and of moral commitment against the spirit of the world. With Francis, this is all reversed. He's lauded. He, the, they have uh, sycophantic documentaries made about him. He's praised by all the Alphabet Soup TV channels. And yet the crowds are, are paltry. I've been to Rome twice um, when he was there, and it's it's just one of those things that you, if you you have eyes to see, you notice where the the powers of the world and the influencers of secular media see him as a kind of mascot, whereas the average Catholic is scratching his or her head daily over you know, what what next what next thing are we going to have to explain to people who aren't Catholic about why they should become uh, Catholics. But you know, John Henry, the Holy Spirit is always on the air, and many many people are tuning in. I've I was just at a parish here in Southern California, and they had 20 converts who were who were interested in the faith during the uh, obviously the pontificate of Pope Francis. So there's there's a way that the Lord has of reaching people independent of this or that leader in the church, even if the leader happens to live in Rome and wear a white zucchetto. <laughs> no, it's it's very true though. It, I know a good friend who who's come into the church um, in this time and knowing full well, um, you know the the hell really that's going on in rome and uh in a way perhaps because he saw his own part in fighting what's going on fighting for the truth of the church it's um anyway truly amazing times one of the guests that uh, i had on is very well known uh to to most people his name is taylor marshall he wrote a book called infiltration about the infiltration basically of modernism into the church um and I'd really like to hear your take on that uh, with regard to what's going on in Rome today. I had the chance to interview for many times uh, I'm a convert historian and a professor at Grove City College. His name is Paul Kengor. Paul's latest book is called The Devil and Karl Marx. And in that book, he mentions something that I've heard for several years uh, through people like Dr. Alice von Hildebrand, that there was this woman named Bella Dodd and that she was a communist in New York in the 1920s and 30s, and that she deployed and trained over a 1,000 seminarians as communists to infiltrate the Catholic Church. And I could never, I could never find what's the chapter and verse here. What, where exactly did she say this? There's a, a few audio samples of her giving talks here and there, but I couldn't locate 
the place that she said them? What was the actual source? And Paul alerted me to an unpublished manuscript by a retired physician in Maine named Dr. Mary Nicholas. And she has a book. Uh, I don't know if it's, I don't know what the official title is, but it's essentially Mary Dodd's biography. And sure enough, um, in several places, public and among conversations, Bella Dodd, who was born in Italy, came to New York in the, in the teens and 20s, went to Columbia University, joined the teacher union circles there, was a card-carrying member of the American wing of the Communist Party. And she confessed doing this. We know this because she, her, her spiritual father and confessor was then Monsignor Fulton Sheen. They were lifelong friends after that. And she said that there are, there are cardinals in Rome during the Second Vatican Council that I, I know are fully communistic uh, in their orientation and their desire to infiltrate the, the Catholic Church at the highest levels. And when you read the documents of the Second Vatican Council, particularly Gaudium et Spes, there's really no, no explicit mention of communism in a time when the Soviet Empire and its satellite vassal states were imprisoning Catholics, lay people, priests, religious, cardinals even. So it's a curious silence from the documents but that makes a kind of sense if there were people there who were influencing the editors of the schemas that were that were submitted. This is the kind of thing that 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 Christ predicted: the weed and the tares. There's always going to be the presence of evil in the church and outside the church, and sometimes we just have to be patient and let the Holy Spirit grind out the, the story. And I'm I'm very impatient by nature, so I want I want the answer yesterday. So I have to realize as a our great chaplain, the Dominican Father Vincent Serpa, always used to tell us, God operates on two speeds, slow and stop. <laughs> One thing we want to clarify is that a lot of people perhaps don't know that during the Second Vatican Council, there were all sorts of documents that were made. There were excellent documents, summaries on life, on faith, family, that were put together. They're called schemas. Normally, in, in a, when there's a council, the fathers come together, they put together these documents with the best, the richest of the teaching, but done in a way that's summarized and easy to understand because that's what councils are for clarity for the faithful. There was a document on communism and what happened to it? Oh, nothing happened to it. It was ignored. It wasn't even edited and, and kind of chopped up. It was, it was set aside. Another one in the Blessed Virgin Mary uh, ended up being heavily edited and folded into chapter eight of Lumen Gentium. Uh, but it started off as a as a standalone document, and um, I, I, we, I don't know, I haven't had access to them, but I suspect that it included more traditional language like Mary Co-Redemptrix, Mediatrix of All Graces, which are, are long-standing, well-embedded, established Catholic teachings about the Blessed Virgin Mary, which are essentially Christocentric. And so um, this is another tale where Pope Francis goes out of his way to attack those traditional titles of the Blessed Mother. Uh, but that was originally uh, given a separate treatment in one of the early schemas. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, going to another topic, uh, which <laughs> is evidently controversial, especially for YouTube, um, the coronavirus and COVID and the whole vaccine situation. You've delved into that uh, quite deeply. You're running a conference on it the end of this month and, and uh, the first of the month uh, of next. Um What's your take, just first of all, as a general sweep of the whole uh, COVID phenomenon, and uh, then we'll talk about the vaccines right after that. SARS-CoV-2 is a single-strand RNA virus that is uh, largely 
treatable and preventable, and mostly, unless you're over the age of 70 or, and are obese and have other comorbidities, not lethal. Um, the, the number of deaths around the world, country by country, has not been a massive spike compared to 2016 to 2021. Um, so from several different perspectives, we have been lied to on a massive scale with these lockdowns, with this uh, unscientific, arbitrary six-foot social distancing. Uh, whole populace is forced into wearing masks that we now know do not work. Uh, masks are not efficacious. In fact, they have some uh, sometimes serious side effects for wearing them. We have a generation of young people who this is all they know. If you're under five years old, you're, you're living your first few years surrounded by frightened adults with masks on. Um, who wears masks? Bandits wear masks. Antifa wear masks. Terrorists wear masks. And now we've all been put into that box by the oligarchs who are running the show. Um, I'm not an anti-vax uh, activist. Um, I've read an, a, a lot on both sides. Um, our kids have had most of the, the general run, not all, for various reasons. Um, but I'm pro-informed consent. And they're not telling the truth about how many people are being injured by either the Pfizer or the Moderna, the Novavax, or the Johnson & Johnson. They're just not, not all the the injuries and deaths get reported, and the ones that do into the VAERS or the uh, Vaccine Adverse Event Reaction System, which was put in place after President Reagan signed the Child Injury Act in 1986. Remember, John Henry, Manufacturers of vaccines are indemnified. They're they're immune from being from suing. So if you're injured or killed by a vaccine, uh, good luck because you all you can do is submit a claim through the VAERS system. The vaccines don't really qualify according to the legal definition of a vaccine. These are better understood as experimental gene therapies. It just reminds me of a of a meme. It's two rats in a laboratory talking. One rat says to the other, "You going to take the vaccine?" And the other rat says, oh, no, 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 they're not finished the human tr tests yet. <laughs> so this is where we're at. Um, as for me and my house, we're not taking them. And I was happy to see the Harris administration, that's my nickname for the Biden administration, uh, backpedal on this idea of vaccine passports. Yeah. So you have to ask yourself why. What, why in, in every country are these lockdowns happening? And as we speak in Ontario and other places, they're, they're kind of doubling down for a condition that is not Ebola, it's not smallpox, you can recover. In fact, if you do, you get uh, substantial immunity that's going to exceed the immunity that you get through the vaccine. And why is Pope Francis cheerleading for this? Mm -hmm. Why the hard sell? Why photos of bishops getting their, their jab in the arm? Yeah, This is the kind of thing that gets normal people um, curious. Why the hard sell? Why This is the first vaccine, the first condition, really, that has needed 24-7 propagandizing. And uh, a lot of people smell a rat. So this is why we launched RestoreTheCulture.com. We've got uh, people from all across the religious and political spectrum, from uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. to Archbishop Carla Maria Vigano, the former papal nuncio, well-known to your audience. Uh, Bishop Athanasius Snyder is going to talk about the moral principles involved in, in using a vaccine that, it, that, uh, that incorporates dead baby body parts. Uh, Rosa Choir, who's a... Uh, her website is Democrats Against UN Agenda 21. Uh, Dr. Leland Stillman is an incredible young doctor in, in uh, Virginia, has a, a new book coming out on the medical effects of light and how the lockdown has, has certainly harmed our, our ability to, to maintain a robust immune system. Um, I won't go through the whole list, but it's, it's pretty impressive. Um, we we get, got the best of the best, including 
Pastor James Coates, attorney, John Carpe from the Center for Justice out in, in uh, Alberta, fighting the good fight for a jailed Christian minister, father, dad, for not going along with the, the provincial protocol. This is, this is police state tactics that we're, we're facing now, and uh, it's real. It's not conspiracy theory. You don't need to have a, a tinfoil hat. It's all hiding in plain sight, and it's happening on our watch. So that's why we decided to launch the series. It looks like we're, we're going to do it twice a year. And uh, to find out more of who the speakers are and what it's about, it's all free, by the way, go to RestoreTheCulture.com. It's an amazing uh, thing, the comparison between Canada and the United States. Um, I know you as a former Canadian are uh, are into that, but it's an incredible thing to see even Biden or the Harris administration, as you say, um, backpedaling from the idea of COVID passports when Prime Minister Trudeau is pushing for them and pushing the Biden administration to do just that. Um, not only that, it's our conservative, so-called conservative uh, premier in Ontario, Doug Ford, who has just done the lockdown again. It's a stay-at-home order now, as of yesterday. And not only that, it is probably the most conservative premier in all of Canada, Jason Kenney, who is the one that's uh, in Alberta, has Pastor Coates arrested. These are unbelievable times. Uh, in a way, reflects the difference between Canada and the United States. If anybody thought it's bad in the United States under Biden, just take a look at your neighbors to the north. I agree, John Henry. It's all counterintuitive. It's exactly what you wouldn't expect. I mean, we'd, we would expect someone who has publicly praised the CCP, Justin Trudeau, for wanting to replicate what his uh, his puppet masters in some ways uh, govern their country. Um, he's been very sympathetic to communist regimes around the world. So that's not so surprising. Um, uh, Mr. Ford... Uh, Mr. Kenny, these are these are not conservatives. These are people who, who seem just as willing and eager to control other people's lives as anyone else. Um, and this is part of the red pill here is realizing that the folks that you used to think of as good guys, this has exposed them as not so much. I'm reminded of the maxim. I'm not sure who said it, but uh, I think it's true that a crisis does not build character. It merely reveals it. Um, and where, where are the bishops in all this? Why aren't there more bishops going to jail? I mean, Pastor Coates, whom I admire and pray for, doesn't have sacraments to defend. He doesn't believe in the real presence of Christ. When I watched in horror the South London, England, uh, Good, uh, Good Friday liturgy being interrupted by police thugs in London, people just drifted away. They didn't, they didn't fight back. They didn't have that uh, hell no thing. This is, this is the most solemn day of the Christian year. And the pastor there says that, there's a Polish parish, as it turns out, said that they were, they were following the protocols. Everyone had the diaper face on. It still wasn't enough. So contrast that to the other, the other Polish Christian leader, uh, Pastor Art Pawlowski, who, who verbally browbeat a health inspector in Calgary and half a dozen armed officers, and they actually they left because he said, absolutely not. He drew a line in the sand. And I think that sand line drawing impulse, we need to pray to get back because that's the only way we're going to stop this, John Henry. They're going to keep squeezing the lemon until we say, no, not participating. I'm opting out. Thank you. It's an incredible allusion that you made there to what the Protestant pastors are doing, because they are bereft of the sacraments. That's very true. My my dad used to say, uh, God rest his soul, that, um, you know, sometimes the Protestants make more with their dime than we do with the full dollar. And right now, this lack of courage among most of the Catholic leadership on earth is stunning, and, and, and it's shaming 
the one true faith with those who are willing to stand up for the faith and for the truth and for the <laughs> for the veracity of worship uh, on the holiest day of the year. It's, it's mind-blowing what's going on right now. Yeah, I consider my spiritual father to be uh, Archbishop Sheen, um, venerable, and probably, well, he'll certainly be named uh, Blessed. I'm, I'm, I'm actually glad that his case is on, is on ice at this point. Uh, that's a, another story for another day. But in the, in the 60s and 70s, he was addressing Catholic parents, saying that if, if, you want your, if you want your kid to stay Catholic, send them to a secular school where they'll fight for it. If this, if you send them to a Catholic school, they're gonna, they'll just lose it. So this is all he's already sort of seeing ahead, and also very, very um, focused on the role of lay people. We can't wait for Father So and So or His Excellency to save us. We're baptized Catholics. We have the dignity of Christians. We're in the public square, so we have to go out with the message, and we have to stop looking over our shoulder to see who, who in a Roman collar is, is uh, giving us thumbs ups or, th- or thumbs down. The, the need is too great, and what's at stake is is too grave to start waiting around. Mm-hmm. So it starts with the person in the mirror. Tell us, uh, finally, where do you think we're at? There's a lot of eschatological overtones because this, first of all, has never happened before. We're in a, uh, the Great Reset's being talked about and it the whole world is basically shut down to a large extent. We saw in, in March last year, the mass stopped pretty well globally. Uh, we're, we're seeing still in many places in the world haven't had mass since then. What uh, do you, what's your take on this whole notion of, are we living the end times right now? Do you have nine hours? Uh, how much time do we have here? <laughs> yes. Um, it, it's a, uh, it's kind of a, a cliche to say that all time after the, the incarnation is the end times. Um, however, I think there are clear signs that, Divine providence is leading us closer and closer to a, a whole new level of distortion, dystopian default setting. The one you mentioned now is a really big one. That is the the shutting down of the holy sacrifice of the mass. The complicity of so many Catholic leaders, including the Pope in Rome, who's been the, a major cheerleader for all of this. And um, you know, the Antichrist is is a mysterious figure in scripture and tradition. The saints and the, the mystics, the fathers, all wrote about the, uh, the role of the Antichrist. And I think what we're living through now is what I will call a remote dress rehearsal for the Antichrist. When you have someone who is wearing a white hat, who's got the name Pope in front of him, but is allied with worldly powers, that is almost, if you line up where John Paul II probably would have stood, Pope Francis has taken the opposite stand. For those of you who remember the kind of man, the kind of leadership and decisions that St. John Paul II made, if you compare them to the, to the movements and priorities, hiring and firing of Pope Francis, they almost line up in, a, in a, a direct, inverse, opposite way. Now, this is confusing for Catholics who are used to the vicars of Christ being moral leaders, knowing where true north is, having that, that reliable uh, trumpet blast of clarity. We don't have that anymore. We haven't had it since 2013. So Catholics feel kind of dizzy, a little bit disoriented, almost like our Lord is having a really long power nap in the boat, and we're you know saying, "Lord, Lord, come on, do you see the wind? Do you see the the storms?" And I think it's uh, it's providential that our Lord gives us that image. Um, and what I cling to as a Catholic is that it's better to have Jesus Christ with us sleeping than not. So Him sleeping in the boat is enough. 
it's it's not the same um, active presence that we're accustomed to from previous pontiffs. But I think that that all this confusion coming out of Rome is in, is a remote preparation for the rise of the Antichrist. I think that there's a certain universal softening of the ground that's happening. Uh, we're made for the truth and the fullness of truth, and the truth is always simple. It's not complicated. You don't have to kind of line up a bunch of lies and make them hang together and go over it and over it. No, it's it's it has the ring of simplicity. Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, if the truth is complex and it's got a bunch of jagged edges, that's not going to set you free. And uh, there's a line from Cardinal Newman, I forget which book or, or sermon, that he's talking about the Antichrist. And he says, as we say that the Antichrist resembles Christ, we can also say that Christ resembles the Antichrist. So we're talking about an extremely effective level of deception. And you could look at people like Barack Obama as a kind of remote preparation for the Antichrist. But I, I think I think what's happening in Rome now is even more potent because it has the the external appearances of religious authenticity. And yet it has forked tongue. It has that weaponized ambiguity. So I'm not saying the Pope's the Antichrist. I'm not saying anything like that. I don't know if it's something that's uh, this generation, the next, or in 10,000 years. All I'm saying is the 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 swiftness and the global nature of this confusion, uh, I think, inclines one with, if you have an open mind, to say that these are, we're entering into a whole new chapter now of human history. We've never had to face this. That's the short answer of a, a complicated question. I'm going to be talking about this soon on my podcast with Dr. Ralph Martin on the the understanding of, of who the Antichrist is, um, what his role is in ushering in the return of Christ, as he as he promised. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're there yet. You know, there's several signs in Scripture to accompany the second coming. Uh, all Israel will be saved, St. Paul says. Um, wars, rumors of wars. That gets hard to discern as well because of the Internet. Um, a lot of people say, oh, look, another earthquake. There's an earthquake every day. Well, that's because Internet news uh, is instantaneous, and now we learn about earthquakes that we never learned about before. So um, you have to... You have to be discerning and um, make sure you're reading the signs of the times according to what they are and not what you're reading into them as. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Now, you've got all this consternation going on. You see a lot of what I see similarly going on in the church, horrific stuff, yet this has not caused you one shred of doubt about the veracity of the faith and your devotion to it. Why is that? The worse human leadership gets, the more proof it is of the divine foundation of the church. There's a wonderful story from the from the, the from Boccaccio. It's called the Decameron, a middle-aged story about a, a Jewish businessman in Paris who gets a visit from the Archbishop of Paris, and um, he knocks on the. They they have this conversation, and Abraham announces that he wants to to be baptized, and the Archbishop is thrilled, and he says, "Well, uh, first of all, I want to go to Rome for a couple of weeks." And the Archbishop knew this is the era of the Borgia popes. There's open corruption there in Rome. Don't go to Rome; it's a cesspool. So he's trying to urge Abraham to stay in Paris. Just get baptized today. No, I'm a practical Jewish businessman. I want to go and I want to see the the up-close workings of the universal church. So the archbishop reluctantly lets him go. And then he comes back two weeks later, and he's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and he says, Your, Your Excellency, would you baptize me now? And he says, You went to Rome? You saw the corruption? Yeah. You still want to be baptized? You want to be a Catholic? Of course I do. May I ask why? And he said, What I saw there horrified me. Any organization that corrupt, run by those those kinds of evil people, would have folded two weeks after the resurrection. It has to have God behind it. It's been here fifteen hundred years. I want I want in. <laughs> the 
bad leadership decisions of Catholics, including me, have nothing to do with whether or not Jesus Christ is Lord and whether or not he founded the Catholic Church. They're two separate questions, and I think the devil wants us to conflate them. And we can't. You know, Almighty God, who is pure, who is holy, who is uncreated, who is just the almighty, uh, ineffable God, can do lots of things alone, but he chooses sinners like you and I to get things done that he could do himself. And um, blessed be God, he's happy to, to collaborate with sinners as co-workers. And that's all we have. Our life's slipping by quickly. You can't press pause. You can't hit rewind. We have to be what we're created to be, which is saints. And sanctity is not optional. It's not for the elite. It's for everyone who's baptized. We're made to hear this. And it hurts to be a saint. It's not, it's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. It's, it's rock climbing. And rock climbing's dangerous. And that's why it's high adventure that I wouldn't want to do anything else. Absolutely. And you are a man of great fun, despite being, uh, you know, great acumen and, and great faith. Uh, you do, and uh, I've known you for many years, and uh, one of the first times we met, I got to see something which fascinated me because I'm into it as well. Um, you're a professional magician. Uh, I'd like to close off, if we could, uh, with just a little trick, if you have one for us. Well, they're called effects, sir, not mere tricks. Yeah, I call it mind hacking. I'm going to present a, a handful of cards here, and I want you all your staff and your listeners, to pick one. Just let your eye just rest upon one. I won't even look at what you're doing. All right? Can you see that? Let me know. Yeah. See the cards? Yep. Got it. So, got one. So you got one? Yeah. Don't change your mind. Just pick that one card. Look at it carefully, okay? Okay. I'm going to try to discern which one you're thinking of. Uh, if I get this wrong, I'm going to kick myself. Uh Okay, I think I got it. <laughs> yeah, whoops. Is it gone? Yeah. I got it, right? Thank you. I'm here all day. <laughs> Try the veal. <laughs> That's amazing. Love to hear from love to hear if how many for how many uh, of your of your vast viewers it, it worked for. That'll be fun to hear in the comments. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Patrick Coffin, thank you for being with us in this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time. Hi, this is John Henry Weston, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News. I'm coming to you today because we want to be sure that we're communicating clearly with you, our loyal followers. Things are really heating up, as I'm sure you can see. Christians, conservative truth-tellers, are being targeted, are being banned from social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at an alarmingly fast rate. They are attempting to suppress any narrative that does not fit that of the mainstream media. We knew this day would come. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to lifesitenews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. 
More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parlor, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.